0: Oh, good morning. Um, Usually I am with a very small intimate group of people. We are able to be with one another close and I can see you and we can be in this together. So I'm so sorry for the distance that is already created between us. I truly am excited to be with you. Um, I have some uh, handouts. I have been a faculty member at Bethel for a long time. And so therefore, there is always paper wherever I go. And so thank you very much for handing those out. You guys are going to need these here as we go through today. You're coming to the end of a series called Searching for God. And one of the things that I find so interesting with regards to this process of searching for God is how much we get in the way of that interconnection with God. There are things within us that cause us to not align, connect, be truly either searching for God or interconnected with God. So, I have spent the majority of my career uh, trying to figure out how is it that people can be interconnected and can be part of a transformational relationship with God. Well, that has brought me on a long journey of education and different vari- different places to be able to work with people. But now, at this season, I have found a place where I feel like I can settle in, I can help people understand who they are and who they are in relation to God, and it's in the context of something called soul care. A little bit of my background. Um, I'm a marriage and family therapist by trade, and so today some of this stuff is going to feel very much like psychology. But then you're also going to have moments where you're going to see another hat that I wear, and it's the hat of spiritual formation and spiritual direction. And so you're going to feel like sometimes we're in that realm as well. But when you finally see these two worlds come together, You will see what I deeply desire to have each one of us do, and that is tend to our souls, so that way we can search—not only search for God, but be interconnected with God. All right, I tried very hard to do a nice little time filler until everybody had gotten a piece of paper. Are we there? You in the back? Do you guys all have paper? Awesome. Okay, now we can really start. Okay. So with this, uh, on the very front page, uh, there are some pretty substantial quotes there that I don't want us to just breeze by. There are a few things that I'm really hoping in this training you will sit with and you will take away from this time together. First of all, we've got a great quote by Richard Foster. Today, the interior life of vast numbers is empty, parched, and dry. And the reason? In our daily desperate scramble of panting feverishness, we have never so much as considered the health of our soul. If there's one thing that I want you to do today, is I want you to consider, oh my goodness, what is the soul? And what is the health of my particular soul at this season of my life? Why would we want to do that? Next quote by Thomas More. When the soul is neglected when we don't consider its health, when we don't pay attention to it, it doesn't just go away. It appears symptomatically in obsessions, addictions, strained relationships, and loss of meaning. I have a um, friend here who goes to Mill City, her name is Wendy. Uh, She just had a little bambino, so I'm guessing she's not here today. Uh, But uh, she has this beautiful way of looking at people and what happens when we don't tend to our interior world. She does this, she goes, everything starts to come out sideways. And that's what happens with our soul. When we neglect it, when we don't tend to it, all sorts of weird, funky things come out sideways on us from us, through us, from the inner depths of who we are. And so instead of having all this stuff come out kind of funky and in ways we don't want it to, I want us to draw our attention to what actually is inside of me. Now, the third thing, the third quote on the front page is by Dallas Willard, an oldie but a goodie. The very first thing we must do to be mindful of our soul is to acknowledge it. Now, one of the things that I've learned over the course of time is that people are like, yeah, yeah, I got a soul, I got a spirit. Oh, hi. I got a soul, I got a spirit, I got all this stuff that's going on inside of me. But then when I sit down with them and I say, what actually is your soul? I get a lot of crickets. People not knowing how to respond, not knowing what to say. And so there's a lot of really good Christians that one of the first things that they'll do is they will immediately jump out and say, well, it's my spirit actually, actually, I don't know that it's exactly the same thing. And so we don't want to use those two words interchangeably. And I'll show you why in just a second. But first, um, on the bottom of the page, I want to take us all the way back to Genesis. And in Genesis, oh, we get this beautiful picture of how mankind was created and how God created the universe, the world, the earth, everything that produces life in it. We get to see what he does when he gets to creating mankind. And so in Genesis 2-7, we see this. And the Lord God formed a man's body from the dust of the ground and breathed into it the breath of life. And then it says, and the man became a living being. Um, uh, Whenever I read this, I I think of like those little inflatable characters, like as soon as God breathed into mankind, (sighs) It finally filled up with all the goodness and life and joy and potential that it was supposed to have. And what's interesting is that when it talks about here, when God breathed into humanity, into man at the beginning, the word of, uh, that we translate as "breath" is actually "nepish" in Hebrew. And when you look at the Hebrew translation of what actually is "nepish," there's several different things, but one of the things that it means is actually soul. And so here in Genesis 2:7, we see God breathing soul into man, and that becomes the actual essence of who man is. Now, some people, again, think soul and spirit are the same thing. And so I want to direct your attention to a couple other verses. For those of you who actually like to take notes and stuff, you can do this, but you don't have to do this. There's a couple different times in the New Testament where soul and spirit actually get pulled apart, purposefully teased apart. And I want to draw your attention to them. First of all, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, we see here that, um, I'll read it to you, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. It'd be interesting to know why would he be writing this way if they weren't different things, if there wasn't something slightly different between soul and spirit. Another time in Hebrews 4.12, we have, It's a long verse, but basically, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Again, why alert our attention to this if they're the same thing? Well, maybe they're not the same thing. So then it brings us back to our original question. Well, what the heck is the soul? And then how in the world am I supposed to take care of it if I don't even know what it is, if I can't even name my soul. So, with that, what we're gonna do with this morning is uh, I'm gonna try and pick apart the soul with you and help you see what are the dimensions and the contours of my soul and of the soul next to me. And you're going to do a little exercise and I've got these little things where you might need to write a little bit and you'll be using your thumbs and turning around a piece of paper and it's all kind of a geeky way to just get you to stay awake and engaged. So for those of you who like doing things like that, go ahead and get a pen out because you might need that um, for some of the things that we're going to do in just a minute, all right? So, what in the world is a soul and what comprises it? If you would, open up that little thing that I gave you and look at the left-hand side of the page. All right, you all there? Okay, my gosh, you guys are really quiet. Are you always this quiet? Like, you can laugh and, like, be be engaged. If anybody wants to shout something out, you go for it. Anderson Tanny is already leaving. That's okay. I know him. It's all right. All right. So with this, um, one of my favorite authors on what actually is the soul is a guy named by by the name of Dallas Willard. And he picked a part in a book called Renovation of the Heart, What actually comprises a soul? And he named six dimensions of the soul. And we're going to go into that. But for those of you who like Cliff Notes answers, you like the catchy little phrase. At the end of the day, you're like, if I don't remember anything else, I remember this particular phrase. Here's the phrase for you to remember What is a soul? It is my essence. Easy. What is a soul? It is my essence the essence of who I am as a living being. Now, the essence though of who we are as people is actually formed and shaped by a dynamic interplay of the six dimensions that are listed there in front of you. And so, I want to draw your attention to one more quote before we start walking around the soul and having you take a look at it. On the bottom of the page, it's another quote by Dallas Willard. The individual soul specific formation Your specific formation as a person, the character it has taken on through its life course, is seen in details of how thoughts, feelings, relationships, bodily behaviors, meaning unfolds, and especially in how they interact with one another. It's really hard to define specifically what a soul is But it's a lot easier to be able to look at what are all the things, what are all the dimensions that influence the essence of who I am. And when you and I interact with one another, you experience my essence or my soul, and I experience yours as well because of how all of these different dimensions have interplayed with one another. So let's start up and we're going to walk around the circle in a counterintuitive way. We're going to go backwards. And we're going to start with the mind. Actually, we're, not going to, we're going to jump all over inside the soul. So what in the world does make up the soul? First of all, our soul is made up, comprised of, influenced by, shaped by our mind. But our mind is actually divided into two different things. Our mind can relate to our thoughts. And so you see in the upper left hand um, area, the mind, thoughts, I'm I'm talking about your cognition, how it is that you think about everyday stuff, how it is that you think about life. When we just sit here and I go, what is going through your mind right now? (laughs) Everything that is flitting through your mind right now are most likely your thoughts, if they're not your emotions, and we'll get to that in a second. But your thoughts deeply, deeply influence the essence of who you are, the essence and contour of your soul. Hang in there. Next one, portion of your mind. We'll skip over to the other side. Your mind is also your emotions. And for those of you who are like, hold on, I don't know about that, I wish that I had a ton of time to be able to actually go into how your brain is structured because our emotions are housed in a seat called the limbic system, which is directly in the middle of your brain, which is where we conceptualize how we're feeling about certain things. And so the front of our brain helps us think through and sequence and organize lives, and our lives in the middle of our brain helps us know how to feel about these things and what we want to remember and tie emotion to. And so our emotions are actually part of our mind when we think about what's happening up in here. What's even crazier, but we won't get there right now, is that actually our brain goes neurologically down into a variety of different portions of our body. But man, that's a cool topic for another day. The thing that I want you to hear for today is when we talk about the emotive portion of you, we're talking about your feelings, and we're also talking about your memories that have feelings attached to them. What you remember about what happened between you and your mom, you and your dad, you and the creepy guy who lived down the street when you were five, you and your best friend, all of those memories have emotion that's attached to them, and those memories influence the essence of who you are. When I engage and interact with Abigail, I engage and interact with all of Abigail, And a portion of it is her emotive portion of who she is. Now, let's go down to the body. A lot of people are like, hold on. We're talking about the soul. Why in the world are we going to talk about the body at this point in time? How could the body be part of our soul? It actually is. It has profound influence on who we are. Your physicality, your abilities with your body, your limitations with your body, the activities that you have your body go do influence the essence of who you are. I'm getting old, and actually, I'm okay with that. I was one of the first women that I knew that like totally celebrated turning 40, and I love being in my 40s. One of the things I don't love about being in my 40s, though, is what's happening to my body in my 40s. Everything prior to 39 and a half, I was able to do pretty much whatever the heck I wanted to with my body and I loved it. It was fantastic. Got into the 40s and all of a sudden it's like this train was moving along at 60 miles an hour and it's come to this screeching halt where I feel like we're kind of moving at about 15 miles an hour right now. And that has had a profound effect on the essence of who I am. I used to be a runner. I had trained and done a marathon, had done a couple half marathons. There's not a chance in world right now that I would ever do that again because of the state of my body but you know what's interesting is that as I don't engage as my abilities with my physicality are no longer what they used to be I find it affecting the essence of who I am my soul we'll get there in a bit we'll see if you think that happens now let's jump over to the social context or relationships yes The social context that you live in actually influences the essence of who you are. Now, this is one of those things where, you know, I wanted to grow up and not look back on my childhood and go, my mother was right. But my mother was right. She just didn't know what she was saying about the soul. Because she would always say things like this to me, it matters who you hang out with. And I was like, it doesn't matter who I hang out with. I'm going to be just fine, mom. Well, now that I've gotten to the state that I am, it matters. Who my soul comes into contact with and the essence of who they are, meeting the essence of who I am, there is a dynamic interplay that occurs between us. And for those of you who are like, okay, now she's really starting to lose it and she sounds crazy. You know, if we could go back to Genesis and we could go back to the depiction of when man was made, Man was made in the image of God, the plural image of God. There is a plural relational nature to who we are. But boy, oh boy, that's a topic that can glaze people over really quick. So we're just going to hold on to that for right now. Trust me, there is a plurality to us. I'll just give you an example. Who I am affects who others are. What happens in me affects what happens in others. So I've got kids and um i i started learning about all of this when my kids were really little and so i did like a little psychological experiment on my son thankfully he was really small so he didn't need to sign a waiver and he can't remember hopefully so um here's what i did is um he was crying one day and i thought i'm gonna pick him up be a good mom i'm gonna try and soothe him and help him be calm And I had been learning about this, and I knew that what's happening inside my body, inside of me, will affect the social dimension between he and I. And so, that's pretty common, you know, a parent picks up a child to soothe the child. So I held him close, and pretty soon, he snuggled in, He got all happy, and he stopped crying. And this is where I got a little sassy with him. So here's what I did. I thought, all right, if this is true, the essence of me affects the essence of others, and there's this dynamic interplay between our souls here, I wonder what will happen if, on the surface, I don't change myself at all. I don't, like, jar him. I don't scream in his ear. I don't do anything to hurt him. But internally, I make myself become anxious. What would happen to him? So I sat there, and I thought about all the things that are totally fear-inducing, like getting hit by a car, and then having him be an orphan, and like all these other things. And I just progressively got myself more and more anxious. He started crying. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't changed anything on the outside of me, but I had changed the inner state of who I was. Now, I know that a lot of people don't really like that, or they think that's a little woo-hoo and a little crazy. There's a whole bunch of psychology that goes along with that, and then there's a whole bunch of theology that goes along in that. If we've really been created in the image of a plural, triune, yet monotheistic God, there's probably something pretty cool that's happening in the space between us, not just in the space in me. Topic for another day. Moving right along. Next one. Let's go to the bottom of the wheel. Down there is meaning. And here's where I diverge a little bit from Willard. Willard likes to call this um, will or choice. And I call this meaning. Meaning because meaning is your sense of purpose. And then once you kind of know your sense of purpose, then you make a lot of choices, and you have your will conform to your sense of purpose or your sense of meaning. So I call it meaning, because have you ever been in a season of life where you felt like there was no meaning? What you were doing had no purpose, no value. I've taught, I mentioned at Bethel, and there's a lot of students (laughs) I come across who uh, they literally sit in the classroom and all they're doing is just praying to God that they can get through the class and be done with college because they are so tired of being a student. It doesn't feel meaningful for them any longer. And what happens is I literally watch their soul wither up as they're put constantly in an environment where they do not sense the meaning and purpose. So then as a good educator, I try and help them understand why this class is really important and you really want to come and it is quite meaningful. Still, even with the sales pitch, I don't always get everybody to see the meaning in education. But that's an educational example. I have a feeling many of you have been in situations where seasons of life where you're like, there is zero meaning to what's going on. And you can literally feel yourself shift or change. I know several people actually here at Mill City Um, who have gone through job changes in the last several years, who have said, what I am doing, what I am giving my time, energy, and resources to does not make sense for me to give all of myself to this. And so therefore, they pursue something different, Owen. And so, um, there is this beautiful thing when you sense that there is some meaning to my existence we come alive in ways that we do not normally come alive because you're nourishing a portion, a dimension of your actual soul. And then finally, we come to the top of the wheel there, your spirit. The way that I describe this, you're like, okay, wait, if it's not the soul and spirit, they're two different things, how do we define this? Your spirit is that spiritual essence, the portion that is spiritually formed, the portion of your spirit that interconnects with the Holy Spirit That Those two things, when they meet one another, they meet in that space of the spirit. I worked for a very, very long time as a therapist. And what was interesting was when I had people come in and talk with me about, oh my gosh, my life feels horrible, I hate my spouse, I hate my job, fix me. What they were trying to and what they were articulating is that they wanted to be able to have help working through their thoughts and the emotions and the bad relationship that they were in and their sense of meaning, lack of meaning in their life. And man, all the physical ramifications that it was having on their body to be in this horrible place. But in a therapeutic context, I could never address their spirit and what was happening in that dynamic interplay between them and God. So then I left the whole therapeutic world. My husband loves me. Um, I left just at the point in time where I could charge an obscene amount of money. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, it doesn't do the fullness of what we need to do to help people in their journey of transformation. So then I went back to school, and I studied spiritual formation. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Spiritual formation, sent. says, or spends a ton of time on the spiritual dimension. What can I do to be interconnected with God? How can I be transformed in the spiritual portion of who I am so that I become a different person? And what's so interesting is I finally found this piece. Oh my goodness, this is wonderful. We're finally dealing with the spiritual component of the essence of who a person is. And then... We never took a look at what their body was doing. We never really took a look at the thoughts and the emotions that were actually influencing the spiritual dimension of them, let alone the the social context they were in, other than you should probably be part of a community and everybody should probably be together to be the people of God. And so I went, oh my goodness, where is it that we can actually tend to the full essence of who we are? Where is that place? Who does that? Well, that's why I do what I do now, because I want people to be able to see the full essence and recognize all of these dimensions are so interrelated that it would be foolish on our part to try and tend to our interior world not having actually taken a look at all six of these dimensions. So when you come to the Urban Retreat, to do a lot of things to help your body be at peace and to calm down and shift your nervous system and feed you well. And we do a lot of things like meditate and pray and reflect and you learn a little bit and then you see how that makes you feel a little bit and then you learn a little bit more and then maybe you pray and then you calm down and you learn and you see how what's happening in that space then also can affect not only your soul, but how your soul interacts with others. Now, I know that sometimes if you've never been exposed to the soul and the different dimensions of the soul, you might be like, I don't really know if all this is interrelated, I don't really know if this is actually true. Um, We'll see, here's a little experiment for you, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to take a look at the wheel there in front of you, all right? And take a look at all the six different dimensions. Now. What I want you to do in your mind is I want you to think about a time in the last eh, maybe like, I don't know, week. Let's just keep it really recent. If you can't think of anything, you may use the last month. I want you to think of a time where one of these dimensions felt really weighty. It was kind of chaotic. felt a little out of control. felt a little not nourished or not tended to. And I'm going to have you do something super, super geeky, but it will help you remember. I want you to take your thumb, and I want you to press on that one dimension to symbolize the weight going down on that one dimension. Don't worry if you don't actually do it, but then you'll just at least remember me telling you you should probably put the weight of your thumb on this. Long story short, I want you to cover up that dimension with your thumb. Now, Got your spot, your dimension that's been a little off recently. Now I want you to look at all of the other dimensions and I want you to see how did being weighty, overwhelmed, chaotic, not feeling quite right in this one dimension have ripple effects into the other dimensions. So here's what I want you to do. If you got a pen, I want you to actually take a little note, a word or a phrase that shows how were these other dimensions influenced when one dimension was a little funky, okay? I don't have music or like, usually I have music and I press play and then you guys can listen to things, but we're just going to sit here in awkward silence for a second as you think about your own soul. When one dimension is off, how did it influence some of the other dimensions, When one dimension feels a little weighty, what happens in the other dimensions? Now, for some of you who actually have been in an awesome season of life because something profoundly amazing, wonderful, good happened in one of these dimensions, do the flip side of this exercise. When one of your dimensions experienced something profoundly beautiful, How did it affect all of the other dimensions? Did it have any influence? My hope is is that none of you had any examples for the first round, and you had only examples from the second round. But go ahead, keep thinking, when something was really brilliant in one of these dimensions, how did it affect the others? All right, now, nobody told you that you'd have to do this. So if nobody does this, it's OK. I'll just keep moving on. But I would love it if someone were, act, were to actually have seen, holy smokes, as this one dimension either experienced something really positive or maybe a little bit of weight and it was negative, it had ripple effects in the other dimensions. Would anybody be willing to tell us your story? And actually, it needs to be condensed in about, like, just a few sentences. This is not your whole life story. It's just how the one dimension actually had ripple effects in the others. Anyone? Otherwise, I'm going to have to tell my story. Oh, yes. All right. And what's your name? Connie. Connie is living in assisted living. And just a week ago, she found out that she needed to leave. It's affected her body because what's happened is now, it's affecting how she sleeps, having the weight of this information. Yeah. Loss of appetite, again, affecting the body. She's questioning her purpose. As this huge transition has now come upon her and she's thinking about this, it's causing her to reflect on her purpose. because she thought she was going to be there for a long time and ministering to the people that were living there with her. And now she's going, what the heck? What's going on? God oh, I got to have you pause there. That's beautiful. She goes, it's actually done something really beautiful in my spirit because it's drawn me closer to God and it's made me then start to think about okay, what else? Plan. What's his plan? Yes. Even better. She's thinking he might have something even better. Do you hear the strains of hope? That are echoing in her story of wondering maybe there is something else for me here which is beautiful because what you've done is actually your emotive portion of your soul didn't turn to despair instead it turned to hope and that was wed with a lot of your thinking about what you actually know to be true about god and so when those three things worked well together you were actually able to counterbalance some really traumatic news that was coming up in your life there was effect in all dimensions, wasn't there? Connie, thank you so much. That was a perfect example. Good. Well, for those of you who are like, I I still don't know. I know Christine thinks they're all interconnected. Connie can see that they're interconnected. Maybe you don't think that they're interconnected. You just kind of let it simmer with you for a little while and see if actually these dimensions are interconnected inside of you. But now we're going to come full circle and we're going to bring it back to How does this tie with what you guys have been talking about for the last few weeks or however long the series has been going on? And this whole searching for God, this movement towards God, this interconnecting with God. When we think about the soul, at least when I think about the soul, I have a very specific reason why I gave you this picture of this wheel and at the very top of the wheel was the spirit or the spiritual dimension of the soul. All right, so uh, everybody go back to driving lessons when you were 15. Where are you supposed to put your hands on the wheel when you are driving? Ten and two. Put your hands ten and two, and I want you to have the spirit be straight in front of you, okay? Now, what is happening here is that when I conceptualize how the soul is moving through life moving um and trying to establish a bit of its essence in this world the trajectory that our souls are on is profoundly important and so for me i personally want my spirit my spirituality my spiritual formation my spiritual interconnection with god to be that which is driving the ship (laughs) of my soul as it moves through this world. And now some of you are like, yeah, of course. I mean, everybody should probably choose that. That the Spirit should be the thing that's driving the trajectory of my soul. But that's not what it's like for everyone. Watch how interesting it gets when you turn this just a little bit. And what if the thought life or what if the body was the thing that was steering the ship of your soul i have a lot of friends who we hit the 40s and we're like oh i told you before our bodies start to fall apart and we're starting to slow down and um they will not allow for that to happen i'm firmly embracing uh growing older instead of fighting this and um but i have several friends who have literally taken their steering wheel and they've turned it so that the body becomes the thing that is steering the essence of their soul forward into life. They become these CrossFit like fanatics. They like only eat four strawberries and then like have a protein shake and like watch it down with like an egg yolk or something. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is like disgusting. However, for them, it's it's very, very meaningful for them. But what's interesting is that when their body becomes that which drives the ship of their soul, everything else kind of becomes secondary. I also worked in academia for almost 20 years. If you turn it, the steering wheel, and have the thought life be the thing that guides and directs the essence of the soul, You get a lot of academics, Um, people who think that the renewing of my mind and an intellectual pursuits um, is the number one thing that's driving me forward. And I cannot affirm more, Michael's session, that there is an intellectual pursuit of God, there's an intellectual way of being in this world, but when intellectualism, when thinking becomes the driving force of the soul, I start to wonder if there's some weird things that start to come out. You go through all of these in therapy i worked with people who their emotions were the number one thing that drove drove every part portion of their soul and we were constantly dealing just with their emotions because they were not tending to anything else inside of them what i invite for you to do is to go put the soul back in this trajectory where your spirit the spiritual interconnection with god is that which is propelling your soul forward, your essence forward in the midst of this world. When you do that, you actually are traveling in an ancient way or in an old path. So I want you to turn to the next page real quick. Uh, It's like the set, don't turn to the back, like turn to the right side of the open portion that's in front of you. And here what we have um, is we'll get down to the ancient path that I was talking about in just a second. But for people who are like, okay, maybe there's something to the soul thing. Maybe there's something to the six dimensions of this soul. Maybe I need to actually take care of this and tend to this. Maybe. The next question frequently becomes, well, how do I do that? And unfortunately, today, my point was not to give you seven quick steps to be able to know how to care for your soul. Come to the Urban Retreat, and I'll help you with all of that there. Today, I just wanted to show you what the soul might be and help us acknowledge it. But here's some of the first things that you can do when you want to care for it. Care for the soul begins with observance of how the soul manifests itself and operates. We can't care for the soul unless we're familiar with its ways. That leads to that huge word, awareness. If you really wanna care for the interior essence of who you are, you need to actually become aware of what is going on inside your soul. And again, if you walk with me or walk with other people, we'll teach you how to take a look at and become aware of all of these different portions of who you are, of the dimensions of your soul. And we're also gonna have you take a look at how does that soul, each dimension of the soul, then manifest and operate in the world around you? Second thing, when you're thinking about caring for your soul, move down in the next Thomas More quote, care of the soul, you need to realize, is a continuous process. It's much like the journey of spiritual formation. It's an ongoing process that concerns itself, and this is what's really important, It concerns itself not so much with fixing a flaw. That's what you do in therapy. You go in, you figure out what's broken, you try and fix it. But in care of the soul, you're not trying to fix things. As much as you're trying to attend to the small details and contours of you in the midst of everyday life, and then begin to nurture those things, Nurture is a really important word. Attending is another word. Um, But I like to use those two words interchangeably. When you nurture something, it feels very different than trying to fix it. When you nurture something, I want you to think of like a garden. And in the spring, when your first little baby shoots of little flowers or vegetables start to come up, it is this tiny little fragile bit of life that is about to come into being. And you don't want to go in there with a big hoe and start digging things out because it's all going to come out with the huge amount of fixing that you're doing to the soil. Instead, you gently attend to that little plant. Give it a little water. You walk away. Come back a few days later and go, oh, how has it manifested now? Do I need to just gently pluck out a few weeds around it a little more water, and you walk away from it. Very similarly, the soul and care of the soul is a much more gentle process like that than wanting to fix it or change it or modify it instantaneously. And that is one of the things that cause people to not care for their soul. In an instant gratification-oriented world, we want the quick McDonald's 60-second version let me know what are the four things I can do to take care of my soul. I'm going to drive through. I'm going to pay my cash. I'm going to get these tips and I'm going to go have a good soul. I hate to tell you this, but that's not how the soul works. Most things in life do not work that way when they really are good and useful. So, we learn in soul care how to attend, how to nurture, how to nourish these different dimensions of the soul. Now, Coming back to this ancient path, um, what is a way to be able to help the spirit be able to drive the ship of your soul and help you tend well? This is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around, ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Don't look at the old godly way, don't reminisce about the old godly way, don't go, oh, that would really be nice if I walked in that way. Walk in it. Travel its path, and you'll reach the top of the mountain. No. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. There's a beautiful way for God to usher us into a journey with him and for us to partner with him in that journey. The Bible talks all about it process an ongoing transformational process in our spirit and that transformational process in our spirit would be what I hope would be steering the ship of your soul and don't forget the other dimensions of your soul as you allow your spirit to be formed and shaped in this old ancient way of walking with God because as you tend to all of the different dimensions As you travel with God in this journey of spiritual formation, of searching for God, watching for God, walking with God, and traveling in that path, you will find rest for your soul. God, I pray that you would be with them. May you watch over their souls. May you tend to them well. May they be able to see how you tangibly have carried them through so many different facets of their lives, and may they be able to see what you are inviting them into with regards to caring for their souls today. Don't leave them alone in this journey. Travel this path with them, and help them to see that you are with them in this process. So let it be. Amen.